If you've got your scriptures this morning, I'd like you to turn over to Mark chapter 5 and just hold that. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a, a little bit, and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, uh, we're talking about a very difficult subject, and that is uh, we have an enemy. And uh, Lord, the enemy is real, but the good news is uh, that we are victorious because of what you have done uh, on the cross and the power of the resurrection. So Lord, I pray that we'll leave here this morning encouraged that we have the power to overcome the enemy of this world. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series on the supernatural, and today's theme is uh, unique, and that is a lot of people have questions about Satan. Like, who is Satan? What is that all about? It's, it's interesting. Uh, Barna, George Barna, does a ton of research, and uh, recently he uh, revealed that three out of five Americans do not believe in the existence of a literal devil or Satan. And then Barna interviewed a lot of Christians. And what he found is nearly 50% of all Christians don't believe in a literal devil. And I can understand the confusion because in our culture, uh, we have faulty theology. And if you follow the entertainment circle, you know Satan has been reduced to almost a cartoon figure. Uh, you know what he looks like uh, in the cartoons. He's uh, wearing a red suit. He has horns. He has a pitchfork. Uh, if you're into the uh, NCAA tournament, Satan looks like a blue devil, so he might look like Duke, you know, running around, but he's so much more than that. Matter of fact, I heard a disturbing story uh, the other day about a, a very troubled church, <clears throat> and Satan just showed up one day, and when he came in the back doors, everybody ran. I mean, everybody ran except one guy sitting in the front pew. So Satan walked down the center aisle, stood right in front of this guy, and said, do you know who I am? And he said, oh, I know who you are. He goes, aren't you afraid? He said, no, I married your sister. Now, that, <laughs> raise your hand if you know someone like that. No, yeah, yeah, don't look at him. The Bible uses the word Satan or devil 82 times. This all comes from Bible Gateway. And it uses the word demons 45 times. But I love this quote by... And Voskamp, Satan prowls, but he's a lion on a leash. Don't you love that? Satan prowls, but he's a lion on a leash. So what are we going to do this morning? We're going to look at who the scripture says Satan is. We're going to talk about how uh, strongholds are revealed. And then more importantly, we're going to talk about, conclude about what is the greatest weapon that we have to battle our enemy, because we do have an enemy. Robert Greene wrote a book called 33 Strategies of War. He studied Napoleon, Alexander the Great, Lawrence of Arabia, Patton, and he said there was a common denominator with these great military leaders. And you know what it was? They all knew their enemy. Do you know your enemy this morning? So if you're taking notes, that's what we're going to get into is what does the Bible say about Satan? What does it describe Satan as? So here's the first one. He is a fallen angel. Listen to Isaiah 14, 12. How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn? You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nation. So here's the question. If Satan is the title morning star, what in the world caused him to anger God so much that he was 
cast out from God's presence. By the way, this is what's interesting is, again, I'm going back to Hollywood. Uh, too many times, Satan is always pictured in a location. And what location is he in? Hell. You always have this picture of Satan in hell. But when he's cast down, is he cast down to hell? No. Where is he cast down to? Earth. So that means Satan is among us. Satan's uh, right here. His presence is with us. If you want to do further study, look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 14 through 19. And here's what it says about Satan and his power. First of all, it says he was anointed as a guardian cherub. In other words, he is the highest of high. He is overseeing all of these other angels. He's called blameless until wickedness found him. Then he was filled with violence. If you could boil down one word why, why Satan was cast out of God's presence to roam around with us, what would that one word be? Now, I asked this last night at Bedford, and I got a lot of great responses. Uh, what would some of you say? If you had to narrow down one word why Satan was cast out, what would you say it'd be? Pride. Absolutely. Pride. He couldn't accept the fact that God is God on his throne, and he had to be his own God. Now, if you fast forward to 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, 13, we read this. False teachers, deceitful workers, they masquerade as apostles of Christ. And then it goes on to say that Satan himself is an angel of light. He masquerades. Pride. How do you know when pride exists in life? I read this the other day, and I, I love this. It says, pride always begins with an attitude of, I will. I will go my own way. I will do my own thing. I will prize my own thoughts. I will chart out my own course. I will determine my own truth. I will build my own kingdom. I will be my own God. That's what pride does. But not only is Satan prideful and a fallen angel, he is the father of lies. John 8, says that he was a murderer from the beginning not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the father of lies. Three times Satan speaks in Scripture. Three times. Genesis 3 and the fall. Job 1 and 2 as he speaks to God and speaks about Job. And then Matthew 4. And Matthew 4, it's interesting because he is speaking directly to Jesus Christ, and three times he tries to bring Christ down, and three times Jesus replies the same way. What does he say? It is written. Jesus was always clinging to the truth, the whole truth. The last of all, Satan is a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert and of sober mind. When I was in Bible college, uh, we had a professor, and we were reading about that word sober-minded. It's actually the same phrase that says that when you select leaders within the church, one of the qualities is to be sober-minded. So he said, what does that mean, sober? And so being 19, 20 years old, we said, well, sober means, you know, Somebody who's drunk isn't drinking anymore. And he said, oh, it goes much deeper than that. He said, matter of fact, if you talk about intoxication, let's just talk about that word, intoxication. 
is alcohol the only way that you can be intoxicated? You ever thought about that? And I'm like, huh. He goes, any of you here got a temper problem, anger problem? You know, my hand, top of the, you know. And if you, he goes down his whole list. He says, when you're out of control in your life, when your mind and your thoughts are out of control, at that moment, you need to be in control. You need to be sober-minded. Are you in control in every area of your life? Because that's exactly where Satan's playground is. He's looking for the area of your life where he senses you are not in control. All of us have areas in life where we need to cling to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me to be sober-minded. Why? Because we have an enemy, and he's called what? A lion. I did some research at the, uh, from the Smithsonian uh, Magazine, and they were talking about the lion's roar. A lion's roar can reach 114 decibels or 25, 25 times greater than a lawnmower. So I want you to think about that roar. Uh, the other day in our men's group, I asked our guys uh, if they'd ever heard a roar. Mike, I think, was the only one that shared he had heard a roar. Uh, and Mike, would you say that's an unforgettable experience? It rattles your chest. I mean, it can be heard nearly five miles away. Now think about that. So I wondered, why does a lion roar? What's the purpose? And it's actually twofold. Number one is to identify their territory. So when a lion roars, it allows the other lions to know that roar five miles away, that's that guy's territory, back down. The deeper the roar, guess what? The bigger the territory. It's like, don't mess with that guy, okay? The other reason was, who does the majority of the hunting? Anybody know? It's the women. It's a great system. Okay, so they got the women, <laughs> but here's the deal. What are the women, what are the hunters looking for? When they hear that roar, they're looking out at the prey, and it actually, the prey, always, one of the weakest prey members will be paralyzed by that roar. That's exactly what Satan's roar does. It brings about what? Fear. Some of you this morning may have experienced that. Some of you this morning may already be living, fearing something. And that's exactly what an enemy wants you to do, is to begin with fear. That's why I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 5. Now, this is an interesting text, and I wish we had all morning to just peel back all the layers of it. But let me give you the background so it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, Jesus, in Mark 4, towards the very end, he uh, is teaching the multitudes, <coughs> and he realizes he needs to get away with the disciples and teach them a priceless lesson. That's what Jesus does all the time. And so he says, get in the boat, and I love this, he says, go to the other side. Now, what I love about Jesus is when he takes us to the other side, if you walk in the shoes of the disciples, the other side is where your faith begins, always. And they have no idea what's coming. So as they're approaching uh, on the other side of Galilee in a Gentile region, there's a huge storm. And when that storm blows in, it is, I mean, to these disciples, they are terrorized. They wake Jesus up. Don't you love that about Jesus? And Jesus calms the storm. And again, they were scared. But now they are beyond terrorized because they realize who else can possibly calm a storm other than God? God's son is in the boat. Now, their minds are reeling. You know, they've got to be thinking, oh, that's what he meant by we got to go to the other side. I mean, that's the lesson he wanted us to learn. But that's only the first part of the lesson. 
when you get to Mark chapter 5, here's the second part of the lesson. They pull up the boat. Now, just imagine it's early morning. Um, maybe it's close to dawn. Maybe they've had no sleep. Uh, they're exhausted, and they pull that boat in, and they look, and there is a, a graveyard. And here comes this crazy guy screaming and hissing, and he's buck naked. I mean, it sounds like Little Five Weekend. I mean, this is crazy what's going on. But I want you to listen very carefully. When Jesus gets there, and this is something I don't, I don't want any of us to miss this morning. When Jesus gets there, he's dealing with, and the, the word is not even used in Greek, the word demon possession. We use that word all the time, but it's not actually. It's just there's an evil spirit. So let me substitute a word for demon possession. Because in our world, when we hear the word demon possession, what do we always think about? It's Linda Blair, and she's spitting up green soup, and it's the extra. I mean, that's demon possession. And so if we're not careful, we begin to remove ourselves from the Scripture and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, that's a crazy guy running around buck naked, and he's hissing, and he's screaming at the moon. I mean, I don't have any of those issues, I hope, okay? But let's take the word demon possession, and let's put the word stronghold in there. You know what stronghold is? A stronghold is something in your life that is fortified and so protected, God can't hardly get to it. Now, see, that's getting personal. Because all of us in our life, at one time or another, can have strongholds. And you know how you identify a stronghold? Money and time. Times in your life that you look back and you've invested so much towards something, it's become a stronghold, and God's Spirit is having a hard time breaking through that stronghold. Now, what are the characteristics of somebody who's battling a stronghold? Well, look at this guy in Mark chapter 5. You'll see that there was a severe personality change. I mean, you just read through the text, and you can see that this guy's not the same guy. Matter of fact, here's what I love about it. The end of the story, the very first thing that Jesus said after he pulled these spirits out of him was, go home. So this guy's incredible personality began to change back to who he was, but at this moment, there's a severe personality change. The second thing, if somebody's battling a stronghold, they're openly opposed to spiritual things. I mean, they just have no room for church. They have no room for Bible study. They're just too busy. And then there's self-destruction. When a stronghold is in your life, you actually begin destroying yourself from the inside out. And then many people, it becomes the outside in. And here's what I mean by that. We've got some really good friends uh, that were battling because their daughter was cutting. And they were just trying to figure out how did that happen. And they started realizing this is such a stronghold in life. And then ultimately, when somebody's battling strongholds and they make bad decisions, you know what the first bad decision they make? RJ, this sounds like Youth Ministry 101. They start hanging with the wrong people. If you start noticing back in your life when you made some really bad decisions, did you ever notice who you were hanging out with? Did you ever wonder why sometimes your parents were too invested, you thought, in who you hung out with? I remember my mom in sixth grade actually telling me, you know that kid you've been running around with? You're not going to run around with him. And I'm like, um, that's not fair. And she goes, I don't care. And I said, well, his mom doesn't care. I'm not his mom. How many moms have used that one? I'm your mom. 
Well, that kid ended up going to jail. Well, mom's pretty smart. You see what I'm saying? And that's what happens when a stronghold gets a hold of our lives. We begin making really bad decisions about even the people that we're with. But I want to encourage you here this morning that even though Satan is coming after us, we have a weapon. We have a weapon. And let me share with you what I think one of the greatest weapons we have, and it's in Ephesians 6.18, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert. Always keep praying for all the Lord's people. I want you to look at this card again and why we're expanding our prayer ministry because we know the battle is real. And we need to keep praying for one another. And I don't mean just random prayers. I mean, I want every service. I want prayer going on in our prayer room. I want this room filled with prayer. I'd love the day when we have prayer warriors coming in and praying before we ever even get started. Because anybody that doesn't think we actually are in a spiritual war, I seriously want to say, wake up. Because we are in a spiritual war. And we need to pray. And I'll tell you what I believe Satan's greatest weapon is. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take captive every thought. Why is he so intentional about that? And I believe the reason is because that's how Satan works. He can't get in your head, but he can do everything to plant the thoughts that eventually get in your head. That's for all of us. Here's how he works over me, and maybe some of you can relate. Um, He'll take your greatest joy He'll take your greatest joy, and he'll just twist it. So I'll just tell you what my greatest joy is, and you're going to think, that's, a, that's kind of weird. I, um, when I told my mom before my senior year in high school, <clears throat> I said, Mom, are you sitting down? And <clears throat> she knew that was not good. And I said, uh, I think I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And she looked at me weird because <clears throat> I wasn't a motivated student. Okay, so... Um, I said, I think I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to be a youth minister. I just want to see kids, just, I want to see them on fire for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> My mom had these beautiful blue eyes, and she's, when she'd smile, her cheeks would get real thick, and she had this huge smile, and she goes, oh, I kind of, I kind of thought that was coming. I said, really? I said, you think I'll be good at it? Now, you know what a mom's always going to say. And she said, well, it depends on how you play this out. And I'm like, um, continue, you know, and she said, um, John, from the time you were a little bitty guy, your passion in life was to round people up to do stuff. You couldn't sit still. That's why I knew every principal by first name basis, and you'd love to get a group together, and you'd like to try stuff. Let's do this. Let's try that. And she said, uh, you're the guy always rounding up the kids in the neighborhood. You're doing that. And there's a lot of times, a lot of fun. Other times, and I'm like, we don't need to talk about the other time, you know. Did you catch that? I'm going to Bible college, you know, and, and she said, so you have to decide if that's your greatest joy is to get people together to do things and experience things they've never experienced. You got to get, you got to let God take over that joy or you're going to, you're going to hurt people too. And, uh, and I have never forgot that, but I will tell you for the last 30 plus years, my greatest joy is when I can be with a group of people and we can take on something 
that seems monumental, and let's roll up our sleeves and do it together. And then all of a sudden, as soon as God plants these dreams, Satan's right behind him. And I hear these thoughts. Dude, you seriously think that's possible? Don't forget who you are. You're the C student in high school. And then you went to college and you were a C minus student. You really think you have any right to do any of this? And then you know what he does? He starts to rewind the times in my life that I have failed. It's like, remember that? Hey, 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 remember? Oh, this was a good one. Think how many people you really upset that time. And it's almost like this heaviness comes over me. Maybe some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I want you to know something this morning. I want to encourage you with all my heart. We have an enemy, and the enemy's called a lion. But I want you to listen to this scripture in Joel chapter 3, verse 16. And the Lord will roar from Zion, and he will thunder from Jerusalem, and the earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Do you see where stronghold is? It's in Christ. Now, I want you to listen again. The Lord will what? He will roar. So here's what you need to remember when you are just getting pounded, and some of you may be getting pounded right now. There may be something in your life right now. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's a potential move on the horizon. But you have this negative, just like heaviness over you. And you need to know something right now that the lion in you is greater than the lion around you. Do you understand that? That the lion in you is greater than the lion around you. And you just don't listen to what Satan is whispering in your ear. You just listen to what God is whispering in your ear. What's he whispering in your ear this morning? I mean, where are you right now? What do you sense God is calling you to do right now? And the only thing you're doing is you're trembling in fear. You've got to let the fear go and say, the lion in me through Jesus Christ is greater than the lion around me. He lives here and he lives in you. I hope you believe that with all your heart. And don't live your life paralyzed by fear. We have an enemy. But when I read that, I'm like this. Satan in your face. And you have already lost when you're in Jesus Christ. Don't run from Christ.